Good morning. Welcome to 2023. Let's go. Whole new year. That, that is exciting. Who all stayed up last night, midnight? Who did it? Who did it? Yeah, you did. Let's go. Who went to bed early? Let's go. <laughs> yes. Well, you're here, and that's exciting. But uh, I told myself I was not going to stay up, and I ended up staying up. So, anyways, Lord will give me energy this morning. But, <clears throat> so we just wrapped up a, kind of a weird week, you know? The, the week between Christmas and New Year's is, is odd, and we all kind of tackle it in a different way. Some of us still have family around, so we're doing things, or we have to travel and have another Christmas, um, or people are coming to your house and you're having another Christmas. And then some of you, when it hits December 26th, it's not Christmas anymore. <laughs> so you're taking down all the decorations. We did that yesterday in our house, and it's really sad. <laughs> um, then some of you will leave your Christmas decorations up until April, so there's that too, uh, because you don't want Christmas to end. But, uh, but in our house, something that uh, has come to be kind of a normal thing for the weird week in between Christmas and New Year's is that we get to try out all the gifts, right? You're going to go and wear your new shoes, your new clothes. You're going to try out that new appliance that you got for the kitchen, that new gadget, those socks you got. You're wearing them. Like, that's what you're doing. You're trying out everything. And then there's also gift returns because, oh, it doesn't fit quite right. Oh, I don't really like this. So you're going to Kohl's, you're returning to Amazon, you're doing all those things. That's what happens in between Christmas and New Year's. Um, this, this week I was reminded of a, of a pretty funny video that's on YouTube of uh, a daughter who gave, his, uh, gave her father an iPad for his birthday. And uh, it's kind of a funny video, and I'm going to show it here in a second, but there's a disclaimer. It's not in English. It's in German. Okay, and we have no titles or anything, so we don't know what he's saying, but here's, here's the kind of the setup is they're just in the kitchen, and she asks her father, hey, how do you like that iPad that I gave you for your birthday? How is it working? Are you using any apps? And that's kind of the setting. Here's the video. Exactly. So we all have the right reaction to that because here he got this very expensive gift for his birthday, hundreds of dollars, and he's using it as a cutting board. He has no clue. And yes, he could use it as a cutting board. That's completely fine. It, I guess it works. But he was not using the, the iPad for what it was designed to be used for. And so this morning what I want to communicate is that in a similar way, every believer in this room has received a gift from God. And I believe the mass majority of us are not using the gift in the way that it was intended to be used. And that gift is the gospel. And so if, we, if you've been in church, if you've been a believer for years or many, maybe days or weeks, you, you may understand, you should understand what the gospel is. That Jesus saved us from the penalty of our sin and that he gives us eternal life. And that is completely life-changing for us. We also understand that 
We're not just supposed to receive this gift by faith, but we're also supposed to go and share this gift with the world. In Mark 16, verse 15, Jesus says to his disciples, but he also says to all believers this, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. This is not a suggestion, but this is a command. It's an imperative. He's saying, you need to go do this. This is a command. And scripture teaches that we're going to be held accountable to this command. In Matthew 25, Jesus uh, teaches a parable, parable of the talents. And in this parable, he teaches that every person, every believer, will either have a reward for their work in the gospel or they will be rebuked. It's a big deal in that sharing the gospel and your work in the gospel here on earth, there will be an eternal compensation for your labor in it. And that's pretty awesome. We, he, Jesus talks about how we are supposed to store up treasures in heaven. Don't store up treasures in here. That's far greater because that lasts forever. That's greater than any retirement plan that you have, any 401k, any Roth, whatever you have. This is far greater. Your work in the gospel. And in Romans, he says, Paul says, that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. It takes a dead person and makes them alive and alive forever. It changes everything. And that's what God has given us. He's given us his power to share with all people. It's a big deal. But what we're finding is that the church in America, the big C church in America, doesn't quite feel that way. There's some research that has been coming out recently um, that is showing a major decrease in evangelism, which evangelism is to go and share the good news of Jesus. According to a, a new Lifeway research study, uh, 2,000 American non-believers were surveyed. And two-thirds of that 2,000 said that they have multiple Christian friends. So on average, three to four Christian friends. And in summary, the study found that 70% of American non-believers with Christian friends have never heard the gospel. 70%. That is crazy. And honestly, I didn't believe it, but then I'm looking at other studies, and it's just this trend that, that we're not sharing the gospel. And, and you might wonder why that is. Well, maybe it's, you know, the fear of rejection, fear of being canceled, fear of awkward situations, spiritual apathy, maybe just feeling inadequate, just not sure how to do it. Or maybe, you know, there's, there's, there's people who are gifted in this area. I'm just going to leave it to them. I'm going to leave it up to the pastors to be the ones who's going to share the gospel. They get paid for that, right? It makes me wonder, like, does this, does this represent our church? Does this reflect us? I want to ask you a question. When is the last time that you have led somebody to Christ? For me, that was a sobering question to chew on. 
I think it reflects us more than we want to admit. And in 2023, something that our church wants to do and do better at is personal evangelism. One of our core values as a church is embrace your mission field. And we have a little summary statement that goes along with that. It says, we all have a missionary calling for both here and abroad. More than just Sundays, we live on mission in every area of our lives. This morning, I want to look at how we can live on mission in every area of our lives. If you have your Bibles, you can please turn to Acts chapter 8. And we're going to be starting in verse 26, and we're going to be moving through verse 39. I'll be teaching from the ESV this morning. And here in this passage, we're going to find an example. We're going to meet a guy named Philip. And uh, if you've read the Gospels at all, you've, you've heard a little bit about Philip. Uh, he is a disciple of Jesus. Uh, he was one of the twelve. And so he was going with uh, Jesus, doing ministry. He's seen miracles. He's done miracles himself. Uh, he is a witness to the death of Jesus, his crucifixion, but he's also a witness to his resurrection. And so he's, he's kind of sprinkled in throughout the Gospels. His name gets brought up, but really chapter 8 is Philip's chapter. It's all about him. And so in this story, we're going to learn how to live on mission. And there's going to be three key principles on how to live on mission. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you what they are, and then you'll see them in the story. Be obedient, ask questions, and share Jesus. So if you're with me, let's go ahead and dive into the scriptures. Verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. God is sending Philip to Gaza. And he, we get a little bit of a description of what Gaza is like. Luke gives us that detail for people that might not know, like us. It was a desert place. It wasn't a pleasant place. It's a place that you don't want to hang out at. But he says, go to Gaza. And I, I think it's ironic because Gaza is so close to the beach. Like, really close. Like, when you're looking at a map, it's so close, like miles away. Like, Lord, why couldn't you send me to the beach, you know? Like, that would have been a whole lot nicer than Gaza. It's just sand. Like, this is not pleasant. Thanks a lot, God. But I think Luke adds this detail about Gaza for a reason. Because sometimes God sends us into places and situations that are not pleasant. But it is him sending us into it. But maybe what God is having you do is not about you. Because that's what we think. We, we think it's all about us. This is our life, and so God is doing this to us. But maybe, just maybe, it's not about you, but it's about God accomplishing his mission through you in this unpleasant place. And so, we have to understand that as believers in Jesus, we are part of something that is much greater than, than ourselves. We are a part of the kingdom of God, and we serve the king. And so there's situations that we're going to get into that he's going to send us into that are not pleasant, but there's always a purpose, and it's always for a mission. And so for this situation, Philip 
is going to Gaza. And he understands the mission. And he goes. The first key principle for living on mission is be obedient. Be obedient. Philip did not hesitate when the angel said go. He rose and went. Even though the Lord didn't give any details, because that's also something that God does often. He doesn't give us the drawn-out plan of what he's doing, but he gives us a task instead of the plan. For us, it's, you know, go talk to that person. Go buy that coworker lunch. Go check on your neighbor. You haven't seen him in a while. See how they're doing. Go pay for that person's coffee. You know? Go do that. Go encourage that HEB employee. The Holy Spirit is still saying go today. He hasn't stopped. He's not quiet. He is at work today. And he's still saying go. What the problem is, is that we say no when he says go. Now nah, that would be awkward. I don't want to do that. Or how would they react if I were to do that? Would they be offended? Man, I, I'm just really busy today, God. I got a lot on my plate. I don't have time for that right now. And this is something that we often do when, when God asks us in our spirit to go do something. We think about it, and then we do this. Right? You're standing next to somebody, and the spirit says, hey, go talk to that person. And you're just like, ah. Uh, not today. Because this is, the, this is the social norm. You stand in a place. What is everybody doing? Everybody's on their phone. Don't want to talk to anybody. Don't make eye contact. Don't want things to be awkward. When God wants to do things today, He's telling His people to go. But we are full of escape plans of excuses. Because we just want to get out of it. And we're going to figure out how we can get out of it. And yet again, when we do this, we're making it about us. We're making it about us. Well, I, don't, I don't want to feel awkward. I don't want them to think any differently of me. You see what happens? You make it about yourself. When again, it's not about you. It's about the kingdom. It's about his glory. It's about this person who is lost. That whatever it might be that the Spirit is asking you to do, it's not insignificant. It might seem insignificant. It might seem like a small thing, but you don't know the plan. He's given you a task. But I promise you, that is, it's important and that there's purpose because he doesn't do things just to do things. He is at work and he is still saying, go today. And that's exciting. It's exciting to live on mission. You shouldn't be a bored Christian. That shouldn't be a thing. It's exciting to be on mission every single day. You wake up, Lord, what are we going to do today? What are we going to do today? 
Did you see the, when you read Acts, you see the enthusiasm that the apostles had? Because they were on mission. And all the people that they were evangelizing to and discipling, they were excited, they were eager, they were on mission. Because they were a part of something greater than themselves. And they were building the kingdom. That's why it grew so fast. It wasn't because people were coming to church. It's because they were going out and being the church. And telling people about Jesus in their workplaces, in the streets, in their families. And the church exploded. Because they were doing what they were supposed to be doing. And they were fired up about it. Where's our zeal? Where's our excitement? There's so many times that people come to me and say, I feel so stagnant in my faith. And, and the common response to that in the past has been, well, you know, what's your, what's your prayer life? Are you reading your Bible? You know, those are the go-to things, which very important. That's your relationship with the Lord. That's, that's you feeding yourself, being challenged important but I've changed my response instead of those things it's when's the last time you shared the gospel with an unbeliever when's the last time you went and you said yes to the go when was the last time you did that because so many of us are Christians but we're not going in being Christians and sharing the gospel. Sharing the gospel is just as foundational as prayer and reading the Bible. It's on the same level. It's foundational. And when we don't do these things, we feel stagnant. We just plateaued. We need to say yes to God and no to ourselves. And we have to make sure that it's not the other way around. That we are on mission. And we say yes when he says go. And Philip said yes. And he's about to find out why God was sending him to Gaza. The rest of verse 27 says this. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Uh, we're introduced to a new character in this story. And Philip sees this man. And this man is not just a, an ordinary man. He is an Ethiopian. Which would have been absolutely mind-bottling for Philip. Because Ethiopians were far, far away. Ethiopia was far for, for a trip, a round trip from Ethiopia to Jerusalem, it would have took a hundred days. It's a long trip. And here is this Ethiopian man, but he, he's not just an Ethiopian man, he's a, a court official, a treasurer for the queen of Ethiopia. He's a man of power and he's a man of status. And he's in his chariot, which is like a limousine for us today, you know? Like he's riding in style. So... Why is this rich, successful foreign government official in, in Gaza? Well, he had come to Jerusalem to worship. 
which would have been also a kind of an odd thing to hear and, and witness because he was a Gentile. He was also a eunuch. So it would have been a very odd situation for him to go to the temple in Jerusalem and then get absolutely rejected. Because he would have gone to the temple in Jerusalem and, you know, there's a sign. There's, history says there's a sign that was, there's multiple courts in the temple and there's a Gentile court. Gentiles can come, but there's this wall and you could not come past it. And there's a sign that says, if, you, if you're a Gentile and you go past this mark, we're going to kill you. Do not come past. And so he would have come to, to Jerusalem to worship, which is weird because, you know, he's a, he's a Gentile. How does he know about the, the, the God of Israel? Why is he wanting to go to Jerusalem? In his day, he would have been considered a Gentile God-fearer. He's an inquirer. He wants to learn about the God of Israel. And so somehow he knows about this, and so he goes, but he would have been absolutely rejected. It's like if, as if he came to church, and the church was like, nope, you're not allowed in here. How do you think he would have felt? Pretty bad? Upset? Disappointed? Man, I've traveled all these 50 days here. And it's going to be another 50 days back. And so that's where we meet this Ethiopian eunuch in the desert, sad, upset, but you notice that he's still searching because he's reading the Bible. He's reading from the prophet Isaiah, still searching. But then Philip shows up. Verse 29, And the Spirit said to Philip, Go! Another go. Go! Over! And join this chariot. Another task, not the full plan. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah, the prophet, and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The Spirit gave Philip another go. And again, the eagerness, he's so eager to to go that what does he do? He runs. (laughs) He runs. He sprints. No hesitation, no intimidation of the situation. He goes. He runs over to that chariot. And when he gets to the chariot, his ears perk up because he's hearing scripture. He's like, oh, God, you're about to do something. This is going to be awesome. You're already preparing what's going to happen here. I'm ready. He goes, and he sees this eunuch reading the scriptures, and Philip initiates the conversation with a question. The second principle for living on mission is this, ask questions. Ask questions. The best way to approach someone who has questions about life is to ask questions. Our Lord did this. Jesus was the master question asker. And in fact, I have some numbers here. In the Gospels, Jesus asked 307 questions. He was asked 183 questions, in which he only answered directly to three of them. In those three situations, one was the disciples asked, 
How should we pray? And we get the Lord's Prayer. He told them directly. Another time, someone asked him, what's the greatest commandment? And he directly said, love God, love others, love your neighbor as yourself. And then when he was standing in front of the Sanhedrin, and they're all angry and upset, and they ask him directly, are you the Messiah? And he says, I am. And I'm going to be seated at the right hand of my father real soon. But other than these three situations, Jesus often would answer a question with a question, which frustrated a lot of people, right? Because Jesus, we just want to know the answer. Like it frustrated general people, but it would frustrate the disciples all the time. Like, why can't you just tell us? Listen, it's not by accident. It was a strategy. Because what Jesus wanted to do was to get people to think. He wanted people to think and ponder what truly matters and whatever spiritual truth that he was trying to get them to get, but also asking questions for the person asking the question is it helps you understand where they're coming from. What is their worldview? How are they, uh, where are they spiritually? Like these are things that are important. So all that is why we ask questions. And Philip asked a question, and the question was, do you understand, do you understand what you're reading? Philip wanted to know where the eunuch was spiritually. Like, are you actually understanding what's going on right now? Because you're an Ethiopian eunuch, right? You're reading uh, like a Hebrew text. I don't think it was in Hebrew. It was probably in Greek or whatever language that it was. But he was able to read it, but just not, just not clicking. So he wanted to understand. He wanted to know if he understood. And, and I recognize this too. Because this is where what we ought to do is we need to figure out where people are spiritually. Because that's what matters most. But I also recognize that, that situations are not like this situation. It's not like served up on a silver platter for us at times, right? Like we have to work our way into that spiritual conversation. And so before you get to the spiritual questions, because if you just go right in, right at, you're going to freak people out. So you've got to have to work your way in a little bit. So... There's a few ways that you can do that. You start with common ground questions. There's personal questions that lead to spiritual questions. You know, a common ground question. That's a cool shirt. Where'd you get that? Oh, Cowboys fan. Are, you think they're going to win the Super Bowl? You say that every year, you know. Are they actually? Probably not. Sorry. Um, you know. How long, how long have you lived here? How long have you been working this job? Do you like it? All those kinds of things. But then you can get a little bit more personal depending on how you know the person. Like, do you have a family? Or if you do know the person, how is your family? People love to talk about their families. Uh, you know? And if you're really trying to get to know somebody, like, hey, where'd you grow up? I don't think I know that. Hey, I, I, I really don't know if I've ever heard your story. What's your story? really great question is, what is the greatest joy in your life? Probably even better question is, what's been the biggest struggle in your life? And then you can transition to more spiritual questions. And it's less awkward because you've been in conversation. 
And you can say, hey, you go to church anywhere? Do you, do you, have, a, do you have a faith? Do you believe in God? Or what does, that, what does that look like for you? You know, what do you believe in? And why do you believe it? Great question is, is how confident are you that if you were to die, would you go to heaven? How confident are you? And I'd say majority of people, when you ask that question, they're not going to say that they're very confident. Which leads to really good conversations. And you can even ask them why. But what's important while you're asking questions is to be a great listener. Be a great listener. Because before your friends, your family, coworkers, strangers ever listen to you, they want to know that you care enough to listen to them. So listen well. And as you listen well, it's going to guide your next questions. And the Spirit will help you with that. And when you ask good questions and listen well, you open the door for them to ask you questions. And that's what happened with the eunuch. Because he was asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he responds with, how can I unless someone guides me? And the eunuch then invites Philip up into his chariot. And you have two guys that are sitting right next to each other that are... <laughs> They are complete opposites, you know? Like, there's no way you could picture these two guys sitting next to each other, having a conversation, reading the Bible. But that's how the kingdom works. And so there they are, sitting in this chariot, reading Scripture, and they read the passage together. Verse 32. Now the passage of Scripture that was, was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before his shearers is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this? About himself or about Someone else. You see, the scripture is from Isaiah 53, which is a prophecy about the Messiah, the, the suffering servant, who would be murdered unjustly, and he would not defend himself at all. He would just let it happen. And so, the eunuch reading this is completely distraught. He cannot believe it. He is bothered. This is terrible. How could this be? Who is this? See more questions. He's asking more questions. Who is this man? Philip answers the eunuch's question in verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Good questions lead to good news. The third principle that we get from the scriptures is this. Share Jesus. Share Jesus. Notice it says Philip opened his mouth. This is an important detail. 
especially for us today, because this is where we fumble the ball on the one-yard line, okay? When there's an opportunity to share Jesus, we struggle to do so. And we've set it up all the way to this point, and we fumble. You may have heard a pretty popular saying that says this, share the gospel at all times and use words when necessary. Have you heard that before? That's a, that's a clever saying. It's not in Scripture. Great on a coffee mug. Great thing to say. But I'm, I'm telling you that it's not biblical. And I, hear me, not fully biblical. Here's the thing. Because I understand what it's saying. It's saying that our lives should represent the gospel. That when people look at us, they should see Jesus. That, that is true. That is true. But what I want to argue is that it's always necessary to use words and to share the gospel. It's always necessary. You know, uh, in Romans 10, we, we have a, a verse that we love in there. Romans 10, verse 13. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We love that. But we often forget verse 14 that comes right after that. Who? Who can believe in Jesus and call on His name if nobody tells them? Listen. Living your life like a Christian like Jesus, yet not opening your mouth, is not acceptable. We have to open our mouths and tell them about Jesus. We have to. Because how else will they know the gospel? How else will they know about Jesus? How else will they know that Jesus died for their sins and he offers eternal life? How else will they know? Well, man, we don't, we don't have a whole lot of time in this situation. Say his name. Give him glory. Jesus loves you. You do something, the Holy Spirit tells you to do something, you don't have time for a conversation, drop his name. Tell them, give him glory, whatever it might be. Whatever it could be, whatever it is, tell him about Jesus. Jesus loves you. Jesus wants me to do this for you. Give him glory. Because if you don't give him glory, you're real tempted to steal the glory from him. Tell him about Jesus. That's literally your purpose, is to give him glory. Open your mouths. Open your mouths. And tell him about Jesus. Even if it's just a note. If it's literally a situation where you can't engage in something, you can't use your words, leave a note. Jesus loves you. have to open our mouths. Because otherwise we are no different from anyone else. There's a reason why we do the things that we do. There's a reason why we live our lives the way that we live. And it's because of Jesus. And we have to tell people about that. Our mouths have been shut for too long. And stats are showing that it's not good. We have to open our mouths. 
Philip opened his mouth. Luke gives us that detail. He opened his mouth and beginning with the scriptures, he told him the good news about Jesus. It just so happens that this passage in Isaiah 53 is a vivid description of what would be Jesus' crucifixion on the cross. And this was prophesied 300 years previously. The events, the events that Philip and the eunuch are reading in this chariot literally had just happened. And Philip was a witness to all of it. And what seemed like bad news in Isaiah was actually good news. Philip would have shared the gospel. He would have said that this, that this death wasn't just a death, but it was a sacrifice. And it was a sacrifice for you, eunuch. That he, this Jesus, took your death penalty for your sin. And in exchange, he gives you eternal life. And that it's a gift to be, to be received by faith. And Philip did this by using the scripture and his testimony. A lot of people feel ill-equipped to share the gospel. I don't know how to do it. I feel unequipped, ill-equipped to do so. Listen. You are equipped with the very same thing that Philip was equipped on that day. Scripture and your testimony. How do we know about Jesus? How do you know about Jesus? The scriptures tell us. The whole scriptures is about him. But you can know Jesus from the scriptures. What does scripture teach? Tell them what scripture says about Jesus. That he's the son of God. He's always existed. He's our king. He came down. Let's just celebrate Christmas. Came down as a baby, the incarnation. Lived a perfect life that we could never live. Died the death that we deserve. That's what scripture teaches us. Now he offers and he's king in heaven. And he's our Lord. That's what the scriptures teach. How is that a reality in your life? How has Jesus changed your life? Through the word and your testimony, you have everything that you need to share the gospel, to share Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is inside of you, helping you the whole way. You're equipped with the very same thing that Philip was equipped with that day. So how did the eunuch respond to the gospel. Verse 36. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, and Philip and the eunuch, and, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. And went on his way rejoicing. Shares the gospel. The eunuch gives his life to Jesus. And they're in this chariot. They're going along. And they're in a desert place. And there's some water. Where'd that come from? 
Lord provide? I don't know. He goes and he's eager and he shares, or he gets in out of the water and he wants to be baptized. And then the Spirit takes Philip onto his next mission and the eunuch is going back to Ethiopia, but he's going back to Ethiopia rejoicing. Why is he rejoicing? He found God through Jesus and his life was changed forever. For, for the eunuch, he was in the royal court in the Ethiopian kingdom. In Jesus' kingdom, he was now in the royal family. And that changed everything for him. He found what he was looking for. And it was through Jesus. It's real temp tempting to look at Philip and say, man, Philip's the hero of this story. No. He's not. Philip is the example of the story. He's not the hero of the story. The Lord is the hero of the story. The Lord is always the hero of the story. Philip was just the instrument to be used by the Lord to bring that eunuch to himself. And the same is for all of us. God wants to use you for his kingdom work. Every single one of you in this room has a personal ministry. You don't have to work in a church to be in ministry. Your life is a ministry. And God has so placed you with your family, your friends, your work, your neighborhood, your town, to be a missionary for him, to live on mission. And he wants to do work through you. But you have to be obedient, ask questions, and share Jesus. You might be thinking to yourself a little bit that, you know, I have family that they are non-believers. I have friends that are non-believers. And I've done this, Jared. I've shared the gospel and they just stiff-armed the gospel. They don't want anything to do with it. What do you say to that? Well, 1 Corinthians 3 tells us that we are co-workers with God. And he gives us our responsibility through Paul. He tells us, that we are to be seed spreaders and water those seeds of the gospel. That's, that's our job. Go plant seeds and water seeds of the gospel. God's job is the growth. Okay? So when it comes to the person's reaction, it's not on you. Whatever they do with it, it's not on you. The only thing that matters is you spreading seeds of the gospel and watering those seeds. And that ought to be every single day. Let God take care of the rest. Take the press, pressure relief valve, right? No pressure. Just go do it. Go share the gospel. Don't give up. I leave you with this little history thing um, before we jump back into our last song in response. D.L. Moody was an evangelist back in the 19th century. He was one of the best of his kind. He had this notepad that he had with all the non-believers that he knew. His family, his friends, people in his neighborhood he had this list. The list at one point was 100 people. And he would go through that list every single day and pray over that list. By the time of his death, 96 of those people came to Christ. The other four 
They were at his, at his funeral. And at D.L. Moody's funeral, those four gave his life to Christ. Is there a little bit of legend in there? I'm not sure. But I do believe that if we are intentional of taking inventory of our spheres of influence and, and the people that are around us, again, God has placed you there on purpose, for purpose. To share the gospel, to be obedient, ask questions, and share the gospel over and over and over and over and never giving up. God's at work. And he wants to do a work in 2023 in you and in this church. But it's time to go to work. So let's go do it.